going to invite you to turn in your Bible. The words will also be on the screens. Uh, Matthew 21, verses 1 through 16. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, they sent, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly, and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitudes said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, <coughs> Yes, have you not read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. No, I'm stopping at 16. <laughs> That's all right. What are we seeing here? If you read through the gospel accounts, all four of them paint the same picture of the Jewish response, but not just the Jewish response, but the response of humanity to God the Son becoming flesh. If you go back to the Old Testament and read through the history of Israel, Frankly, folks, it's shocking. You look at the gospel narratives. What did God the Son, God the Son becomes flesh. God the Son 
steps out for his public ministry. He is baptized by John the Baptist, who has heralded his coming. John the Baptist was sent to fulfill what was said of him in Isaiah, to be the herald for the Messiah. And he did. And when he saw Jesus and he baptized Jesus, Jesus, what happened? As Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And there's a voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And John the Baptist is just overwhelmed, and he is delighted by the fact that his own ministry starts to diminish as Jesus grows. And Jesus' own excuse me, John's own disciples, we saw this a couple of weeks ago in John chapter 3, G John's own disciples came to him and said, this man's ministry is growing, ours is diminishing, and John the Baptist is tap dancing. Yes, 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 that's what's supposed to happen. I'm so delighted. The this is the reason I came. And yet at the same time, there is opposition. There was opposition to John the Baptist. Hey, could you please take your children out? They're too much of a distraction. And there, there is opposition against John the Baptist. There's opposition against Jesus. Why? The principal opposition is the Jewish religious leadership. Why? Because they have turned the temple into a den of thieves. They have turned the temple into a den of thieves. They've opened it up into a market where people could buy and sell the sacrificial animals and that they could make a fortune, and that they could change the money. And you had to give, whenever you gave a gift into the treasury, it had to be with temple currency, which was had a ridiculous exchange rate. They, had, they, they are criminals. They are a mafia, religious mafia organization. And they have raised this up against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we're somehow going to get away with this. And here comes John the Baptist renouncing them. Here comes God the Son become flesh renouncing them. And you have opposition and opposition and opposition to Jesus, but you also have people coming to faith. And who is it that typically, not exclusively, but typically, it's the least likelies. Last Sunday's message was about the Samaritan woman at the well. Whom Jesus says to her, when he asks her for a drink of water, uh, and she said, why are you, a Jew, even speaking to me as Samaritans? The Jews and the Samaritans hated each other because the Samaritans wanted to participate in building the temple in Jerusalem, and the Jews refused to allow them, and there has been this growing hatred ever since. And here is Jesus, a Jew, asking the Samaritan woman for a drink of water, and he says, well, if you had asked me, I would have put an artesian well in you and slaked your thirst forever. What? 
a fountain of water inside of me that will slake, yes, your thirst for eternal life. And that woman says, well, tell me more. How can this happen? Well, go get your husband and bring him here. Well, I don't have a husband. Well, in that thing you spoke truly. For indeed, you have had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. That's why she's there in the middle of the day, to get her water. Because she doesn't want to be there when the other women in Sychar are there, getting their water and facing their tongues with stones. And yet, when Jesus says that to her, does she run away? No. She backs up and says, there's word out there that there's a fellow called the Messiah who is coming. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, how did this Jewish fellow know about her wicked life experience, her disastrous life experience? We understand that this, this Messiah fellow that will know all things and tell us all things. And Jesus' reply was, I who speak to you am he. She immediately leaves her clay pot behind that she was going to bring her water home with. She ran to the town and speaks to the men in the town square and says, I just talked to a man out at the well who told me my whole life experience. Could this be the Messiah? Would you give me your expert opinion? And they run out to the well. And that they spend, Jesus and his disciples spend two more days there and the entire town of Sychar turns to him. This woman, all these Samaritans, the very people that the Jewish people would have said, no way are Samaritans going to be open to the authentic work of God. And yet here is this massive turning. So there are people that come that you don't expect to come, and the people that you would think would have really large elephant ears to hear what God is saying and big eyes to see what he's doing, they turn away. They plug their ears. And so Jesus now, this triumphal entry is at the close. He, he cleansed the temple. We know from John's gospel he cleansed the temple at the very beginning of his three, three-and-a-half-year ministry, and he cleanses the temple again at the end. Why? Because the Jewish leadership has made it, turned it into a den of thieves. It's a criminal operation, truly. And so Jesus, God the Son, become flesh, now comes to Jerusalem, initiating what will take place at the final phase of his earthly ministry. Let me just give you a little uh, energizing uh, insight that was given to me by a fellow that I had as a teacher uh, named Harold. And Harold had gotten his Ph.D. at Cambridge University, and he wrote his Ph.D. dissertation on the chronological aspects or issues in the life of Christ. 
And the final chapter, and then he, once he had graduated, he turned that dissertation into a book that's still available 40 years later, is still in print, still purchasable. Harold Honer is the author of Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. The last chapter points this out. He had done all of his work on the chronology of Jesus' earthly ministry. He actually changed his mind about a lot of stuff. Well, in Daniel chapter 9, there's a prophecy. And it says, on the day that the, from the day that the command is given for the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince will be 69 weeks of years, 69 sevens of years. That's 483 years. And their lunar years were 360-day years. Well, 483 years times 360 is 173,880. Okay? 173,880. Because the ancient cultures were so fanatical about never losing a day, because we're talking taxes here, we don't want to lose a day. They even put the astronomical signs in their government documents. We know, extrapolating our calendar back into the B.C. era, the day for the command that was given to Nehemiah, this is recording, recorded in Nehemiah chapter 1, Artaxerxes gave Nehemiah the right to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem on March the 5th, 444 B.C. You count 173,880 days from that date, and it brings you to Monday, March the 30th, 33 A.D. That's the day of the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. The day when he said to his apostles, to his disciples, you go out and you tell everybody, I've been telling you don't do this, now I'm telling you to do it. Tell them all, I am, in fact, the Messiah, the King of Israel. And that's the day of the triumphal entry. And so, to the day, Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. That's the triumphal entry. But what do we see take place on this day when he rides on the colt and had never been ridden before by anyone? The colt, the foal of a donkey, and they lay their garments, their, their outer cloaks on the donk, on the foal, and Jesus is placed on it, and then they go into Jerusalem on a, on a serpent's steed. A servant's steed. And when Jesus comes the second time, what will he be riding? A white war horse. But he comes into Jerusalem this time as a servant. And he, how will he serve us? He will go to the cross to pay sin's penalty for us. He comes in as a servant. But they're declaring him to be what he is. The king, Hosanna, Lord, save. Lord, save. You are our rescuer. And indeed, he comes in, and in a way they can't even, would have even imagined, he rescues them. He rescues them. 
he comes in, mounted on a colt, full of a donkey, and he comes in, and the children are crying out, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna to the Lord, praise God, praise God. And it's not just the children, it's the entire crowd. And he goes into the temple and cleanses the temple, and the Jewish leadership is irate. The real reason for their irritation is they know he's telling the truth. They have been pursuing him, walking around, observing him for three, three and a half years. And what have they, the Jewish religious leaders, seen? They've seen people raised from the dead. They've seen lepers cleansed. They've seen people healed of all sorts of things. The word has gone out. They all know Lazarus, who just a few a couple weeks before was raised from the dead. They all know this man. They all know the account. <clears throat> and here is the one they know who he is. But they're going to, from their standpoint, they're going to murder him. And they succeed making use of the Roman authority. They murder. They place him on a, they nail him to a wooden cross, an altar, and he pays sin's penalty. Where are we going with this? <clears throat> What's our environment? We live in an environment where some people are running to the cross, they're running to Jesus, and other people are turning their back. Some of them are just turning their back and just being, you know, just pretending <coughs> they didn't hear anything. Others are <coughs> adamant, adamant in their denial of who Jesus is. They don't want to hear about it. They don't, and if you even try to speak to them, they get angry. How dare you? I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Why? Because they know it's true. Because they know it's true. People get angry when their conscience is being punched. And they don't want to experience that. So the very environment that we see Jesus walking through in his day is also the environment of our day. And by the way, every generation between Jesus and us and preceding Jesus, it's how the human race is. What we don't know is who will be responsive. Very often, the people, as I mentioned earlier in the, in the worship service, the very people we think are just, just one tiny step away from the kingdom never take that seemingly tiny step. And other people, like the woman at the well, <laughs> leap into the kingdom. They leap into the arms of God, the God of mercy, love, and grace. Because they know they need mercy. They have no other hope. And when they find out that the true and living God is, in fact, the God of mercy, love, and grace, they come running. They come running. 
the kind of God we have. And so, what does Jesus do? Does Jesus go quiet? No. The people who get in his face, he gets right back in their face. How dare you cleanse the temple? How dare you interfere with our criminal enterprise? And he says, well, the day is coming when Jerusalem is going. We know this, this is Matthew 24 and 25. Jesus is in the, in the temple with his disciples. And they're looking around, and they're eating and eyeing. Oh, Lord Jesus, look at this. By the way, the temple in Jerusalem was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a magnificent building. They had, as the Jewish leader says to Jesus, said to Jesus the first time he cleansed the temple, by what authority do you cleanse this temple? Will you tear down this temple, and in three days I'll build it again? Of course, he's talking about his own resurrection. He is, in fact, the residence of God in flesh. What are you talking about? 46 years we've had this thing going for 46 years to refashion the temple and make it, and it was started by Herod the Great. And here is this beautiful temple. And you're going to restore it in three days after you've torn it down? Of course, he's speaking of the temple of his body. But they are incensed. But he does miracle after miracle after miracle there in front of them. And they say, what sign do you give us? They're not interested in signs. He's done them right in front of them, and it's not enough. Jesus has come to the temple. He's going to destroy it. He, he's in there in the temple. There's <coughs> a day or two after <coughs> the triumphal entry, and he's in the temple with his disciples, and they're just eating and eyeing. And he says, boys, don't get too excited. This whole thing is going to be torn down. There's going to be one rock left on another. And, of course, his Jewish patriots were not happy with that. But they quietly get out to the Mount of Olives. Let's not talk about that here while we're surrounded by people in the temple. <laughs> they get out to the Mount of Olives. When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus gives them the answer. He explains what the what's going to happen and how they need to do when you see the Romans coming when you see the enemy coming you get out of Dodge you get out of Jerusalem you flee because they're going to destroy not just the temple they're going to destroy the whole city which the Romans did they pulled down the temple and they pulled down the walls of the city they completely leveled Jerusalem and he told them we have we are living in dangerous times if you have understanding of the scripture, you know that Jesus is coming. Every, everything that the scripture says will characterize the cultural environment of the world is present before us. Israel was out of the land. They had no right to presence in the land of Israel according to Roman law from 70 A.D. until Israel became a nation in May of 1948. What other ethnic group has been outside of their original location for 1,850-some years and then been restored? 
only one, the Jewish people. And the scripture says the temple's going to be rebuilt. It's already set in place. Everything is set in place. And we are seeing right now people around the world, the peasant level, rising up in rebellion against their, you see it in the Hindu world. In India and Nepal, the, the no caste and low caste people of India are turning to Christ as their redeemer in massive numbers. That's why the persecution in India today is greater than it has ever been. In India, in China, why? Because, and in the Muslim world, why? Because the peasants are rising up. They're saying, we've had enough, and here is the God who embraces us and offers us mercy, grace, and love. And they're turning to Christ, that Redeemer. They're turning to him. And there's, so we're seeing a peasant rebellion on the spiritual level as well as the other levels. And we are seeing our God, that's exactly the scenario you see in the book of Revelation, with the people rising up against Babylon, which is the elites in the Hindu world, in the Muslim world, in our world. And we're seeing that unfold right before our eyes as no generation has ever seen it around the world. Jesus entered Jerusalem. He cleansed the temple. He gave his disciples the place to stand where they could understand what was unfolding before their very eyes. God has done the same thing for us. Palm Sunday, that celebration of that time, of that triumphal entry, when not only are people shouting out praise and worship, but also the opposition is rising up. We're seeing that. We're seeing that. Take now, what did Jesus say to the disciples? Don't let this bring failure to your faith. You know what's coming. Walk with me through the test. And when the Romans showed up, when it began in 68, the Jews rebelled in 68 AD, and the Romans took, they took their time from 68 to 70. They came from Galilee, conquered everything, came down to Jerusalem in 70 AD. They destroyed that city. We are to have the same understanding when you see it coming. By the way, what am I going to do? Am I going to tell you to flee? Am I going to? No. I'm going to yank you out of here. It's called the rapture. I'm going to pull you out, and you will be in my presence, and you will have a ringside seat on what is taking place. What has our God done? Our God has said to us, here is my, Jesus, my son, Jesus of Nazareth. God the Son become flesh. He has gone to the cross and he's paid sin's penalty for you. But that's not enough for me, God. I'm speaking as if I'm God. That's not enough for me. I want to bring you here beside me so you can see. That's why we have this book so we can see God's ways, so we can see what his plan is, because he wants us to be part of it. We want, he wants us to see our environment as he sees it, so we can walk with him through the process 
And that is why, through history, God's people, even when they are suffering persecution, are such powerful witnesses because they're not accepting the intimidation from those who have been professional intimidators. We don't have to accept the intimidation. We can walk with trust in him. And he will show himself strong on our behalf. He pulled his son out of a cave. He will make the same kind of testimony through us as we walk with him through these times of testing. The triumphal entry of our Lord Jesus Christ is going to be replicated in our life experience. And the scripture says, if you have entrusted yourself to Christ's redemptive work, when he comes back to restore, I hope you've got your riding lessons in because we're going to be mounted on a white horse filling the heavens behind him. He is also mounted on a white horse. And you're going to be part of the, you'll be there to view his victory and participate. I'm going to invite you now to stand and turn to number 293 in the hymnals.